So we're closing out our series on the Beatitudes. And this is week number eight. Uh, so we're, we are finalizing this, this series through the Beatitudes. Um, we had a journal for you. If you didn't pick one of those up, I believe we got a few that are left. Um, take a journal with you. Um, that's, that's for you. And, and so this is known as the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. This is Jesus. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is, is sitting down and he is, and he is downloading this truth into his disciples and all those that are listening. And I thought since we're finishing up the series, we'll read through it together, um, every beatitude. So it's in Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount continues from the beatitude. So there's two more chapters that, that Jesus continues his sermon, but he begins it with the Beatitudes. And so Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 3. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You should underline that, kingdom of heaven. So every blessed attitude has a reward with it, so to speak. So every, every attitude that we see, every Beatitude, there's a, there's a disposition, there's an attitude, and then what it produces. So the poor in spirit produces the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, it says the promise to them is that they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, the humble. The humble will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it says their reward would be they're going to be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, those who show mercy, because they're going to be shown mercy. That's a pretty awesome promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they're going to see God. Last week, we talked about peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And I want you to notice this, because here we have seven Beatitudes. Now, again, if I had someone in my life that was meek and pure in heart and merciful and they wanted, they hungered for, for righteousness. They wanted the world to be set right and their life to be set right. Like these are all really good things. And you would think that someone who had these types of this character or this attitude would be a person that everyone would want to be around, <laughs> that they would be liked and they'd be loved. Well, here's the Lex Beatitude, all right? <laughs> Doesn't end that way. So it's almost like the, the reward, so to speak, from the world. Again, not from the church, but from the world. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So again, underline kingdom of heaven, because I want you to see that the first beatitude and the last beatitude end with the same reward. The poor in spirit, it says that their reward, the kingdom of heaven. Those that are persecuted for being humble, for being merciful, for being pure at heart, for trying to bring peace to the Thanksgiving dinner so the cops don't have to show up. Uh, you know, like, you know, those, those folks, you would think people would, would be encouraged to be around them and would encourage their lifestyle and encourage their character. But Jesus is preparing his disciples and those listening for a world that is going the opposite direction. And I think that's why he begins and he ends the Beatitudes with the kingdom of heaven as a reward. Because if we think if we're humble and we're merciful and we're peacemakers that we're going to receive some kind of earthly reward, we'll, we'll be let down oftentimes. 
Because it's, it's oftentimes the peacemaker that gets persecuted. The humble person gets taken advantage of. The merciful gets taken advantage of in, in this world system. But Jesus is, 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 again, he's like introducing this upside-down kingdom. And he says the reward that you're going to receive is not going to be like the, the way that you, you receive a, a reward here. It's going to be kingdom bucks. Come on, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be, it's going to be the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be God's presence in your life. Um, it's going to be the awareness of God. You're going to see God. You're going to be called the, the children of God. But there's going to be a price to pay. And then he, I think he describes this persecution in verse 11. I think it's, it's just in a continuation. It says, blessed are you. He gives examples. That word means happy, okay? So this is, such, this is the biggest paradox, I think, in all of the Bible, but especially in the Beatitudes. Happy is the person. You should be happy when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, and he brings it back to the kingdom of God again. Your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so it, it's fascinating to me. So you, the, the world's response to the merciful person, to the, to the forgiving person, to the humble person, is not going to be a, a good response. And so we know that up until this point, there wasn't heavy persecution that the church was enduring. But after this point, uh, you know, I think all of the, the disciples but one were martyred. Those that were listening to the message of Jesus were not popular. Those who, who took the message of Jesus and began to live that message, uh, not, not only were they isolated, but it was almost like the world came after them. And, and so it wasn't a, a popular thing to be a Christian. And I feel like now in our culture, especially in the last several years, some of you in here have felt that. You have felt that at school. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's not a popular thing to not do everything that everyone else is doing. It's not a popular thing to have you know, clear morals, and this is where I draw the line. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. It's not a popular thing in the business world at times to be a person that doesn't cut corners, because cutting corners sometimes gets it done faster, right? And then there are no shortcuts. <laughs> We're learning now that shortcuts just, just take like 10 times now longer to get to where you wanted to go. And so we're seeing that, that this, this lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to is not only, is it not going to be, it's not going to be popular, but it may cause people to get angry. It may cause people to not like you. It may cause people to say things about you. And, and so, you know, one of the things, like, when I first read that, I thought, okay, well, this is, this is good news. But, but looking back on my life, a lot of the persecution that, have come, that has come to me personally has been because of just silly stuff that I've done. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference. You know, Jesus doesn't say, you know, blessed are, are, are those who are persecuted for religion's sake. He doesn't say that. You know, there, there's a difference. I don't think that Jesus has kind of given us a, a card here to go out and to try to offend people or to try to go out and, and, and start a religious argument. That's not what he's doing. I had an uncle... Uh, his, his name was Ben Henry. He was from Baghdad, not the Middle East, but there's a Baghdad right, right north of here, Baghdad, Florida. If you're new to the area, it's uh, just across, the, just across the, 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 the bay there and the Garson Point Bridge. And um, so he, he was a pretty fascinating guy. 
Um, he was very, very involved in politics. I think there's an election coming up, right, here in a couple of days, important election, which I think we all, everyone that's able, you should vote, and, and it's important. I, don't, I think this is maybe the most critical election that we've had. Uh, and it's good, to, it's good to, I would say, vote the Bible, you know, vote your conscience. But I had, a, I had this uncle who was way, way into politics, and, and he had this radio program, and it was 1330 WEBY was the, the station. And I think it could be around still. It was an AM station. And he would go on this radio program, and he had one tagline. The tagline was, what you don't know will hurt you. And so he would go on the radio, and this is what he would do. He would, just, he would, he would shed light on all the crooked politicians in the area. Yeah. So he would talk about Commissioner so-and-so filling up his personal car with DOT, DOT gas. And he would talk about commissioner or, or governor so-and-so uh, sold the land for a bridge because he owned it. And he bought the land on purpose. I'm not even going to tell you which bridge it was. I already said it. And, and, uh, and so, <laughs> but here, he went on the radio. And again, that's like, I don't know, going on the news and just shining a light on all the corruption in politics. And he, was, he had three attempts on his life. Three times people tried to kill him. The th finally, the FBI stepped in. You can Google this and look it up. The FBI stepped in, and they said, well, we're going to stage your death because you have made all these politicians mad, and they all want you dead. Uh, and, so, and so we're going to stage your death. And no joke, they staged his death, had ketchup on him. Uh, you know, at, you know the, uh, the ambulance came and took him to the, to the morgue and all this stuff so that he could. But, but long story short, man, he went around with a switch and hit every bear that he could find. Some Christians feel like that's their job. I'm going to get online. I mean, literally, you could sit in your house all day long and just argue with people right now if you wanted to. I mean, it feels like the world is kind of gone. There, there's, a, there's a lot of darkness in the world. There's a lot of things that, that, that we want the light to be shed on. But if, if you feel like that's like your, your calling, then be ready for, you know, when you, when you poke a bear, be ready you know, if, if you pick a fight with the devil, he, 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 you know what I'm saying, he can hit back. And that's not what he's saying to do here, though. The more I thought about this, the more I've read this, this, blessed is the person who's persecuted for righteousness' sake. I think what he means is the person who's just trying to, to live his life or her life the best that they can and their family and lead them in the ways of God, that there's going to come a day in time when when you just do that right there, you are going to be persecuted. And we do live in a day now where it's not okay to disagree with certain people. I feel like up until a few years ago, it was like we could agree to disagree and we can move forward. Okay, let's agree to disagree. But now, if you don't agree with this or what I'm saying or what I want you to do or how I want you to believe, well, you're labeled and you're ostracized and there's, there's persecution. Now, we're not seeing it the way that they're seeing it in other countries, but again, how do we respond to that as Christians? How do I respond to the coworker when I open my Bible at work and I read my Bible and it just bothers them and they're mad and, and they report me? <laughs> they, they say things about me. They, they, they call me names. Like, what, what do I do? How do I respond? I'm going to read those verses again. This is in the, the message. Uh, this is a paraphrase version. You're blessed... When your commitment to God, again, your commitment to God, 
I'm not judging someone else's relationship to God or how they're, I'm, my commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even for though they don't like it, I do. <laughs> All heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and the ones that have gone before us have always gotten into this kind of trouble. All right, and so what do I do when I'm being persecuted? I'm getting blasted on Twitter or whatever. On it, I'm getting, you know, somebody at work is saying this or that about me. I'm trying to live this Christian life the best that I can and people are persecuting me. I think number one, what the Beatitude shows us is that the, the, the way to live a blessed life is to take the high road in these situations. Because if you notice, he doesn't give a response. He gives a reward. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you for trying to live the, your life the right way, right? Righteousness in the ways of God. There's a reward when people begin to take notice and people throw stones and people say, hey, well, you know, you're, I don't like the way that you're doing it. There, there's really no response there. And I think the high road is the blessed road. And, it, and, if, and if you can, by all means, try to overlook these offenses. Try to be the bigger person. Try to take it like water on a duck's back, right? Just let, it, just let it slide right off. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says, Love overlooks the wrong that others do. So we try to do that. Pro Proverbs 19, verse 11, A man's wisdom, a wise person, is patient. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. And we don't see this modeled any better than Jesus. Like nobody lived this any better than Jesus. And I could give a lot of examples here, but I can't, I, I mean, I can't not think about the moment on the cross where he's looking at the people that put him there. And he, he didn't say, Father, bring fire from heaven and rain it down on their heads. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like bring in the pain. Like let's send in reinforcements. This is not, no, he, he prayed for them. Father, forgive them. Because he's seen through their behavior. Because a lot of time, a, a critical person, a divisive person, a, a, a toxic person, they're, they're usually hurting. Have you noticed that? Like the person that, you know, the, the, the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. They're just mad because they're not in the section you're in. You know, you know what I'm saying? They're mad because you're VIP, and here they are looking at a pole, and they're just, you know, like whatever. But, but, but when... when it, it, <laughs> Taking the high road is, number one, trying to, to believe the best about people. I have to remind myself of this every time I go drive somewhere, especially on the interstate, or 110. Like, like, like if somebody pulls out in front of me, I just think, all right, maybe, maybe somebody's in the hospital. Maybe they're, head, maybe they're like really late for an interview and they got to have this job and their family is is, you know, waiting, you know, like, like on the, like, I don't know. I just try to believe the best, you know, or, or the Krispy Kreme hot sign came on. I don't know. I know either, either way, <laughs> the high road, taking the high road. I've never sat with a person at the end of their life who said, you know, Pastor Nathan, I wish that I would have retaliated more. 
I should have just been meaner. I should have sued more people. Nobody. It's oftentimes it's the opposite. It's, it's I, I, gotta, I gotta talk to some people. I gotta ask for forgiveness. I gotta let people know I love them because maybe I didn't say it enough. I, I gotta let people know that I'm not mad. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and, so, and so we want to try to live with the end in mind every day. And criticism is, has never been easier than in today's culture. It's never been easier to, to, to throw a shot at someone from behind a bush. I mean, you can, I mean it's never been easier to, to, to critique or criticize or persecute someone and never even meet them before. But, so we try to take the high road. And I think the way that we do that, there's a few ways but when we look at the, like a few of the people in the Old Testament, I'm not, I don't have time to go through all of them, but it seems like the ones that God used the most were extremely persecuted. And God used the persecution to put them exactly where he wanted them to be. And we've talked about some of these people. We've talked about Joseph. We talked about how God gave Joseph a dream, and he shared it with his family, who he thought for sure he could trust. Well, you know what they did to him, right? They threw him in a pit and left him for dead. And it was that pit that led him to a, a parade of people that got him in the palace that made him one of the, one of the most influential pers you know, persons on the planet at the time. It all came through persecution. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, he was thrown into jail for speaking truth. You've got Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den. You, probably, you know that story. We've read about, I, that's one of my son's favorite stories at, bed, at bedtime. I don't know why. Uh, but, but, uh, but he got thrown in for what? For praying. And so we see that persecution, a lot of times, I know me, is I try to get out of it. Right? Well, well if this is bothering you, then I'll just, I won't do it anymore. I had a guy that I used to work with a long time ago at Pepsi. He hated it when I, was re when I would be reading my Bible in the back room of a store. I, I was a merchandiser for Pepsi for a couple years. Worked, did y'all know I worked at Pepsi for a little bit? Yeah. And so on my lunch break, I would bring my Bible and I would read my Bible. I didn't mess with nobody. I didn't, like, I didn't sit in front of the store with it. And like, you know, I didn't have a, I just quietly just, want, I didn't know the Bible. I wanted to learn. And he would make him so mad. And he'd come and he would, he would, he would, he would just say really harmful things. And, and, you know, and I had this you know, choice to make. Do I just leave my Bible at home? Stop doing this? I didn't. I didn't go to the boss and report him. <laughs> I thought about it. Long story short, he ends, up, he ends up getting engaged and asked me if I'd do his wedding. And I read the Bible at his wedding, all right? So I won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Come on. So, so, uh, but there, there's a time we're all living with this tension right now. Am I going to be a Christian? Am I going to live counterculture to the way that the you know, of the, or am I going to just give in? And it's a tension that we have every day. But I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is probably the greatest example we see of this. Now, these are three Hebrew boys. That were, that were, it was, you know, they were being a part of this kingdom that was under this king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had this great idea. He got all the governors and the county commissioners and the legislators and the senators. And he said, this is what we're going to do. 
I'm going to make this golden image, and everybody in the land is going to bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jews. And they knew that, you know, the Torah, somewhere in there, the Ten Commandments was, you can't have no other God before. And so they weren't going to do it. And people knew they weren't going to do it. And so they had a choice to make. What do you do when the law of the land directly violates the Bible? Are we there? I don't think so. There's a lot of cultures that are. Could we be there one day? Absolutely. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have easily just blended in with the crowd, said, you know what? When the music plays King Nebuchadnezzar, I'll bow down to your golden, and I'll just pray to Jesus in my head. But they didn't do that. They took a stand. They said, you know, and they were very respectful. They told King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, we respect your position. We know that you're king, but, but we're not going to bow down and worship this idol. And so it, it made Nebuchadnezzar pretty mad. <laughs> so this is what he decided to do. Anybody that wouldn't bow down and worship this golden image, he said, I'm going to throw you in a furnace. And so everybody's going to watch it burn up. Isn't that crazy? And so they take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you know this story, but I know some of you may not. And, and because they wouldn't bow down to the pressure of culture, they get thrown in the fire. And it says all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar's looking in the fire, and he, he looks over and he says, I thought we threw three people in there. <laughs> I see a fourth. And, and he looks like the son of a god is what he said. He looks like the son of God. And it was in this moment of persecution, number one, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a whole other experience with God that they would have never had before. Because they wouldn't bend on their convictions. They wouldn't bow down to culture and people in power. God said, I'm going to reward that kind of faith. I'm going to meet you in that place. Now, would they have not gone to heaven if they would have bowed? I don't think so. I don't think it's a heaven or hell issue. I think it was a do you want to know me on this level issue. Do you want a nearness in your life? Do you want me to show up in the fire of persecution with you? Now, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But in that moment, God became real to them. More real than he had ever been. And not only that, he became real to everybody watching. Look at this, Daniel 3, verse 28. The king, when he seen this fourth man in the fire, the, the fire was so hot, the guards that Nebuchadnezzar sent to throw them in the fire died at the entrance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just walking around having tea. And this is what the king said, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel, and he rescued these men who serve and trust him. They disobeyed my orders and risked their lives rather than to bow down into worship. And now I'm going to command if anyone, any nation, any race or language speaks disrespectfully of this God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve, it's not going to be good for them. <laughs> They're going to be torn from limb to limb. All right. That's a lot. Okay. And his house will be made into a pile of ruins. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Come on, somebody. Isn't that awesome? And it lets me know that when persecution comes into my life, oftentimes it's on the heels of a promotion. That God will use persecution 
to, to cultivate growth and blessing in our lives. And a lot of times we, we see, no, I don't think anybody likes persecution or criticism. I mean, some people thrive on it, I guess. Uh, not many. Most people don't like people talking about them. You know, most people don't read the comments. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to, it's just not something that we seek out. But Jesus gave us a promise. He said, your life will be blessed. Your life will be blessed if, when this begins to happen. And so why? Why do people persecute Christians? Why did they persecute Jesus? I mean, I feel like if he was alive today and walking around, here he goes, he's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. Crowds are, are flocking to him. He's feeding thousands of people. I mean, here is a, a, a man that the whole world took notice of. How did it go from the crowds and feeding the thousands and the miracles and the signs and the wonders to the cross? Like, what happened? And I've thought some about this. And I don't think it was so much that, that, that people were mad or angry at Jesus I think they didn't like him because he was different. He was different. The way that he lived his life was very different from the culture. And if you look at the ones that really, really, that were the loudest and spoke the loudest against him, it wasn't the world. It was the religious leaders of that day. Because in a lot of ways, they had the most to lose from Jesus and what he was teaching. Because they kind of had a monopoly on God up to that point. They, they had a monopoly on it. Like if you wanted to hear from God, you went to the priests, you went to the Pharisees, you went to the Sadducees. You didn't come to God on your own. There was, they, they, there was a way that they would legislate forgiveness. There was a way that they would legislate grace. And they would legislate mercy. And then Jesus came up and said, no, this is for everybody. The poor in spirit, the broken, the sat upon, the spat upon... Come on, and the light upon. This is for everybody. And so they got really, really nervous. But not only that, I just think there was something in Jesus that irritated them. And I just wanted to set somebody free this morning. Are right, you ready for this? I think the good in you will irritate the bad in some people. It's not because you've done anything wrong. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because, you know, whatever they are, are saying or accusing you of, there's times where you're going to walk through seasons where I just think the good in you makes the bad in other people. It just gets them all angry. And when someone gets angry, the, the best way to, to, to handle that oftentimes is to try to just make you look bad. And that makes them feel better about themselves. That was the approach the Pharisees took, right? Jesus made them nervous. Here he is raising the dead. Here he is talking about this new kingdom that's coming. They're like, we got to take this dude out. And so rather than just taking him out, they tried rumors at first. Hey, do you know this guy eats with tax collectors and sinners? This guy's a drunk. We see him all the time eating down at the Marlin, and he's just drinking wine. <laughs> like they, they tried to smear his character. Well, that didn't work. And so now they went to the next level. They actually started planning to take him out. 
And so you see that this, this persecution came to Jesus and he, try, he, he let the disciples know and he, I think he let all of us know that, that as we get closer to God, as we walk with God, this type of thing is going to happen to us. A righteous life will be persecuted. That oftentimes, especially right before God does something really big in your life, it's just like it makes the devil mad. And he'll start sending his little goons, you know what I mean? He'll start sending people. He'll, it's, it's Nehemiah. It's, here he is building the wall. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes Sambalat and Tobiah. And they just start throwing stones at him to try to get him discouraged, to try to get him to give up. And maybe, you know, maybe you're not in that season right now, but you've been in a season like that. Or you just got somebody at work that's just throwing stones at you or somebody in your life that it feels like it's their, their God-given gift to find something wrong in your life. I tell people, you don't have to look far in my life. I'll tell you what's wrong in my life. Like, and so I think the key to this is to not get bitter when this happens is to not internalize it how did jesus do this well i think he did it in several ways but in, in i believe it's let's see matthew 16 he, he asked peter he brought him to the side now again i told you they were talking about jesus they were saying that he was the devil they were saying that he was uh, be, he did all his miracles with the power of Beelzebub. And, I mean, they are just using everything they can to make Jesus look bad. He didn't react to them, to his haters. He didn't respond to the mean letter or the mean tweet or the mean text. He grabbed Peter, who was in his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he asked him a question. He said, Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter started listing off people. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Well, hang on. Okay. Well, who do you say that I am? Peter looked at Jesus and said, well, I think you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He, he spoke truth into the life of Jesus. I don't know if Jesus needed that, but I know that you do. Because when criticism comes, you've got to insulate yourself. You've got to insulate yourself with people who love you and want the best for you. Because if you start getting into an argument with a critic, they're not going to stop. Because a lot of times what's motivating them and motivating the words and motivating the hurt and the pain has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with maybe what you're doing or the work that you stand for. And so when, when you are under a, a, a season of, of persecution or you feel like people are, the best thing you can do is pull yourself together with an inner circle and say, all right. This person wrote a 30-page letter and sent it to the board of trustees about me. Is this true? <laughs> that literally happened to one of my friends two weeks ago. I'm just telling you. 30 pages. Is this true? I've had people say things about me, and I've believed it. And I've had to pull, you know, and sometimes it's been right. Like, like there's, been some, there's been some traces of truth in it. But other times, it's just a total attack. And it wasn't until I pulled, my, you know, people in my life that I trust and I know they love me and I know you have people like that in your life. Hey, help me with this. That's how we 
grow, I believe, as, as, as not only in community with each other, but it's how we stay resilient. Because if you're arguing with a critic, or you're, the only thing that's going to make a critic stop is for you to just quit. That's what I'm finding. There's been some people that really wanted me to do something else. <laughs> and I've noticed that, it, and so they started saying things about me, my character, but really the only thing to let, that it was going to get them to, to win is if I just quit. And so I want to tell you, just don't quit what you're doing because opposition comes. Don't quit believing what God's word says about you. Don't quit standing for truth on the job and at school and, 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 and pursuing what God's called you to pursue just because it becomes unpopular with the world. Who cares? Get some people in your life that'll tell you the truth. That'll tell you that you're a child of God. That'll tell you that you can make a mistake and not be a mistake. That'll tell you that you can't, like, the, the, the path to success is littered with failure. You know, you're going to have to fail one or two or 10 or 20 or 50, right? But, but you, you, you get back up. You keep going. Critics, a critical person, they just want you to stop. They want you to quit. They want you to come off whatever it is that you're doing and to just give up. But I'm thankful that God, in those types of times and in those types of seasons, he gives us a grace to keep going. Amen? He gives us a grace to keep going. Some people are like seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> you ever been to the beach a couple times? If you have something they want, they're just going to fly all around you and poop everywhere. <laughs> don't feed the seagulls, okay? If you're new here, if this is your first time on the beach, don't give a seagull what it wants. If you do, they will call in reinforcements and everything you love will be pooped on. They need to put a sign up at the beach, like casino. Do not, they're like flying scavengers. They're flying, they're rats with wings, okay? They're so, so, like, there's some people in certain times of their life, they're just like seagulls. You have something that they want. There's something in you, purity, peacemaking, mercy, that they want and they don't have. And so Jesus had an inner circle. Jesus had people that he bounced stuff off of. And this is the last thing we're going to pray. I'm going to read this verse and then we're going to pray. Well, I just want everybody to like me. You ever felt that way? I just, I just want them to like me. I just want to get along with everybody. I think sometimes as, 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 a, as a preacher, I have, I have preached this wrong. That I'm just supposed to be nice and everyone's supposed to like you if you're a Christian. You're supposed to live at peace with everyone and everybody's going to be your friend. And we're all going to sing Kumbaya and this is all going to end well. But that's not true. We were born into a world at war. There's a real enemy in this, in this life that we live. That doesn't like you and doesn't like what you stand for and doesn't like the God that lives inside of you. And so attacks will come and criticism will come and people are going to talk about you and they're going to say things about you. And, and, and I thought my life would get better when I became a Christian, but it actually got a little harder for a while. Because the people that I thought were my friends were not really my friends. 
And so we're going to go through these seasons of life, and we're going to go through, but, but this is what I want you to hear. Jesus warned about living a life where you made everybody happy. He warned against it. Look at this, Luke chapter 6. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. He warns. He says, when you're doing it right, you're going to have haters. When you're doing it right, when you're really, I mean, when you're living for God and you're doing your best to keep your family together and just, you know, just, just live this life as a Christian, it's going to attract people that are not going to like what you stand for. And they're not going to like what you're about. And they're not going to like even this, the spirit that you contain in your life. He said, whoa, he says, if everybody likes you, if you're here this morning and everybody likes you, here's a warning. <laughs> there should be some people who don't. And I think that's what the Beatitude is saying, is blessed is the person who frustrates the right people. <laughs> because if somebody is taking advantage of you, if somebody is abusing you or someone you love, should you just be nice and let it go? You should make their life uncomfortable. You should frustrate that person. You should get mad at that person. That I think there's this righteous, this holy anger. And, and when we live a life for God, that there's going to be people that are just not going to like it. And Jesus, the only people that I found him frustrating were the religious people. And this is what he says right after this. Okay, frustrate the right people. If you have enemies, verse 27, Luke 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love them. Love your enemies. This is so hard to do. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He goes on and says, somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. Someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. Give to everyone who asks. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others the way that you would have them do to you. Now, this is what I'm seeing in my life, and then we're going to pray. There was a time in my life where I was not a very nice person. <laughs> I know that. I know the things I'm capable of doing without the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I thought the best thing that people could do for me was to just let me get away with it. Just let me get, I mean, just, just let me keep, I, I, you know, and what I'm seeing now is sometimes doing good, Jesus kind of gives us threefold ministry here. You got an enemy, number one, pray for him if you can. It's hard to stay mad at a person that you're praying for. It's hard to stay mad and angry at someone that you're, that you're earnestly praying for them. That's what Jesus did on the cross. They're, they're crucifying them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed for them. Bless them if you can, right? It says that it's like putting hot coals on your enemy's head when you return a good word, when someone says something mean or harsh towards you, and you're able to bless them. So pray, bless, and then this last one, he says, do, do good to them. And sometimes the best thing that you can do for a person is to put up a boundary. Right? 
Sometimes the best thing you can do for a person is to love them from a distance. Jesus didn't expose himself to the hurt and the pain and the wrath of the Pharisees over and over and over. He got out of town. He distanced himself. He said, all right, I came for y'all. You don't want to hear this message, so I'm putting up a boundary. I'm, I'm distancing myself from this. I'm not going to keep exposing myself to this over and over and over. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to, as we close, that your life is doing, you're doing good when you're frustrating the right people. When you're making people in your life that, that maybe you're trying to take advantage of you or someone else, when you make their life uncomfortable, Jesus said that your life is blessed. And that's harsh sometimes. That's hard to do. I think sometimes it's easier just to let it go or to just, all right, I'm gonna just keep, I'm gonna just keep doing this and letting this person take advantage of this situation. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. There comes a point. There comes a point where you got to stand for righteousness and that doing good may be putting up a boundary for that person, helping them really get the help that they, they need, calling in someone that maybe can help that person. Dr. Henry Cloud says it like this, there's three kinds of people in the world, evil people, foolish people, and wise people. And he said when someone is evil or acting evil, sometimes the only way you can communicate to them is through guns and lawyers. <laughs> And so, he, there's, a, so there's, a, there's a fine line there. This is all I want us to do. I just want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray. And maybe you're here this morning and, you, and you've got a, a person like this in your life right now. A, a critic or you're under persecution at work or you're under persecution on the job and it's hard to know what to do. I just want to pray for, for wisdom, number one. That God, that you would just... Give us wisdom to be able to overlook offenses. Lord, give us the wisdom to be able to, to receive criticism but not take it personally. And I pray for everyone in this, this room, God, that they would have a, a, a team of people around them or just a few that could insulate them, that would speak truth into their life when maybe they're going through severe criticism or severe persecution that their family will speak into their life and speak to them that they're children of God, that they're made in your image. But then I want to pray, Lord, that is there somebody in my life that maybe I do need to frustrate? Is there a boundary in my life that may need to go up? Is there a stand somewhere in my life that I need to take? Have I been bowing down anywhere like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is there, is there somewhere in my life where I need to take a stand for righteousness? And so, Lord, we want to live at peace with all men, but we don't, you haven't called us to be pushovers. You haven't called us to be floor mats. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much that you're our defense that you go before us, Lord, that you lead us and guide us through the, these situations in our life, Lord. You always give us wisdom and you always, God, you always win in the end. And so, Lord, help us just to stay close to you. Help us to receive your truth, not criticism, but to receive your truth in our life. 
And we just thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.